Hello and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Schism. I'm joined today by my co-host Adam. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning everyone. And today we're going to be talking about the collapse of the New York Twin Towers in 2001, now forever immortalised as 9-11. This September marks the 20th anniversary of this tragic world shattering event. Today we're going to look at how our lives have changed and how global society itself has changed over them 20 years. But before we go on to that, do you remember where you were when 9-11 happened? Because I, I, I kind of feel like similar to the JFK assassination mm. for the generation before us. Everyone remembers no. where they were and what they were doing. Oh, indefinitely. Like, indefinitely. When they found out. It's actually the best way to describe it. It is the JFK of um, probably our generation. I'm not familiar. In that sense, yeah. I'm not familiar with the generational terms that we use us, like millennials or Z or whatever that term would be used for our generation. But... It generation was, 9-11. Generation 9-11. It was for us. I mean, um, I was just the same age as you. I was 17 years old, you know, a teenager in college. I do remember that day, still like yesterday. It's it's almost like I could relive that day. And what were you doing when you found out? Remember where you were and Mate, uh, who, who you are with? The weirdest part was was actually being in lessons, being in lessons, because it happened, obviously... Oh, you were in school? Yeah, in, right. in college, the actual day. Now, of course, it, it happened uh, in the morning in America, so it was lunchtime over here. I remember right. uh, uh, lessons just before lunch, and then I'd gone out, uh, gone away for some reason or another, and then it came back to the lunch hall, and all of a sudden it was like TVs on, and people, and I didn't have any like, lessons in the afternoon, but people were like, gathering in the lunch hall and stuff. The biggest thing was not knowing what was going on, was commotion, the fact that so many people all of a sudden did were in the cafeteria. I mean, our cafeteria, our college wasn't very big. Uh, in the college I went to, we had a cafeteria, say maybe held, I don't know, like, three, few hundred people, let's say that. There. But I've never seen people all at one time, all in the cafeteria. You can imagine. I was a bit like, oh, Jesus, okay, what's going on here? And just seeing on the TV screen, we had three TV screens. I can imagine back then, like, 2001 TV screens were like flat screens, you know, in the cafeteria. They were exactly like really nice TVs. But on every one of them had the same image. And it was the first tower. It had like the, the plane hit on it. And it was like the sensation of already, the panic in the cafeteria. I remember the fear already. Why is there one of the biggest buildings in the world on fire. And when you haven't been in the cafeteria and then someone tells you next to you, by the way, a plane hit that, you're like, Jesus, like that's that's crazy. You're not knowing, you can't even comprehend like hijacking any, anything at that point, dude. Do you know what I mean? Nothing at that point was even established. It was just the fact that seeing this building on fire, the fear that was going for everyone sort of. Yeah, at that point, you almost, like I remember I was at home watching it unfold in the news. And it was a real, like, we interrupt this broadcast kind of thing. Like, mm. I felt like every channel was just like, we have to break to this. It, mm. was, it was so major. Because at, at that age, I wouldn't have been watching the news. No. So <laughs> whatever I was watching was interrupted by the news of 9-11. And it was the same thing. It was the first plane hitting. And my thought was plane has just crashed into... It's just a horrible accident. Yeah, that's the first thing that probably you think. Do you yeah. Think? yeah. And it wasn't until that second plane hit... 
Which I and I feel like so so many people were already tuned in to the first plane yeah. and going, oh my God, how has this happened? Why has this happened? What's going on? What a terrible but tragedy. And then when the second one hit, it was like... Then you know. Well, it's not an accident. accident. It's not an accident, is yeah. it? It's like, what is happening? It just felt like the end of the world. We never thought at that point, like we'd obviously had terrorism, especially here in the UK, like with... The IRA. And the bombs, that's, nail bombs outside of gay clubs and stuff like that. In, in the pubs. In the pubs, yeah. yeah. And they used to sort of give give warning first, didn't they? Yeah. Like, you know, we'd grown up around that, so we were used to terrorism, terrorist attacks, but it's like the thought had never crossed anyone's mind that commercial aircrafts could be used to, as weapons. To especially take down, a, a, I don't know, maybe like you might have thought of something like into a big major building, but not. These sort of buildings, not not the biggest buildings in the world, that's that's for sure. And the fact that they both got hit simultaneously within, I don't know, I, I don't want to quote this right, but it's like 20 minutes apart, half an hour apart or something. The exact time, I don't want to exactly give the right quote, but it was, yeah. were, it wasn't that even... So that it was long. enough time, wasn't it? Enough it, time for you to look at the first Howl That's what I mean, it was enough time... Taking in that whole yeah, right. thing, and then by the time the second yeah. one hits it, you're it right. It was almost like... They wanted the nation, or not just the nation, the world's eyes on what had happened before the second plane hit. Yeah. They wanted everyone's energy, everyone's attention focused on this thing, and then they want everyone to see that second plane hit. And and I feel like most people that I've asked, like, oh, do you, do you remember when you first heard or whatever? They always say, oh, yeah, I remember when the second plane hit and stuff. It's, it, yeah, it's quite, quite crazy that. It was my mum's birthday of all days. And she had to cancel her plans. Oh, God. <laughs> Can't believe those blooming terrorists. Osama! <laughs> um, she, yeah, she was, she was heading into London. At the time, in the UK, they were, they were sort of saying, well, they could be, you know, they could be oh, attacking every major city or that's the first different thing cities off, across, yeah, yeah. across the world. London, I would say, is definitely like New York, a major city. Your financial centre, yeah. Yeah. And... It, yeah, it was like, oh my god, is this gonna is this gonna happen in in London now? Quite crazy to think that obviously there was the the seven seven bombing mm-hmm. in London, not as catchy seven no. seven. No, doesn't have the same really? ring as nine eleven, does it? Uh, I mean, it's known as that, but it's not like well uh, known as that. Is no, it? We, in fact, we probably refer to them as the London bombings, don't yeah, we? Right, we don't exactly. call them seven seven. Yeah, 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 the London bombings took them a long while to get <laughs> to get their arse in gear. <laughs> well, considering at, at the time it was like you you thought one was imminent like oh my god and that's the that's the crazy thing obviously today we're sort of looking back like a retrospective on on the the years since 9-11 but when you think of them years say between 9-11 and the 7-7 bombing it it, it it was a constant state of fear yeah because we were almost waiting for it yeah and and there was a few different much much smaller attacks dotted around the world during that time and across Europe but we you could you argue after witnessing the events a lot of that of, was after 77 could, could you could you argue after witnessing the events of 911 unfold even though it was New York unfold on your tele- television screen that day would you say that almost pre-prepped you for expecting one in the UK I mean, after the event, so the day after when we still believe it's well we're led to believe it's Osama bin Laden do you think straight away wow Okay, well, this looks like this. This could be coming up abroad here now. Oh, suddenly the possibility of that become much, much more likely, almost inevitable. Yeah, I remember seeing like bodies falling, and 
like these huge dust clouds and these people like covered in dust and there was people trapped under the rubble mm. when you were hearing about the firefighters that had been killed and it was like truly horrific wasn't it i mean especially the people jumping out of the buildings it was just like well the 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 fact that they would have chosen that over i'm guessing getting burned getting alive, burned alive or, or crushed or whatever yeah that just there was something about that Every media network managed to capture a picture of like a man or a woman walking through the street. Like there's that famous thing, the guy's got like an office shirt on, isn't he? And he is just covered in a dust cloud. Like he's literally mm. a different colour from the dust from now it's like keep saying dust, not the material, the dust left over from the towers. And he was just covered in it and that just seeing that image alone would just strike fear into you. I'm like one of the biggest buildings in the world have come down and a, a single solo yeah. man coming through the dust cloud completely covered yeah those sort of things like everything we, you were seeing was straight out of like a disaster movie yeah end of the world point movie. point on that absolutely it had like everything didn't it the dust clouds the like people like running through the streets yeah. like yeah. godzilla kind of stuff the fact that it was in new york a part of you wasn't even surprised that it was sort of the the twin towers it was almost it Almost felt like they were always destined to kind of come down or be attacked or something. I think I think so. the rhetoric you were almost given straight away was, well, what a better target to take down than the World Trade Center. It even sounds like a great target. Well, straight or, away, it's almost like a world attack. Yes. Or attack on the free world or attack on Western civilization, not just America. The fact that it's the World Trade Center. Yeah. It's like an attack on, on the world, on the free world. I know America calls itself the free world, but... <coughs> I'm talking about <laughs> the rest of the world. America's not the world, as uh, think, the Morrissey think, song goes. Thinks it's the world, but it's not the world. <laughs> yeah, so there's some really extensive work out there in terms of documentaries and literature regarding 9-11 being a hoax or an inside job. And that's not what we're really going to focus on today. But some real, like, notable things to definitely look up and watch firstly loose change 9-11 is absolutely brilliant and the movie zeitgeist yeah which is kind of split in two 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 sort of bits firstly about religion secondly about 9-11 is a must watch and you've read a really good book about 9-11 yeah I, I think the most compelling read is actually if you're going to really break any conspiracy open, I think you need to look at someone who's going to offer you evidence and what better way to get evidence is for a scientist. And uh, the molecular physicist, uh, Dr. Judy Wood's book, Where Do the Towers Go? She looks at it from a perspective of how could planes of a particular size and weight possibly bring down two towers that weighed the com combination of a million tonnes of steel and concrete. You know, how could jet fuel that only burns at 1800 degrees, melt steel that bend, burns at 2700. You know, she she's probably the, I'd say the, the, every of the works that we've talked about, the best figures who've given us the best works and blown open 9-11. I'd say she covers all bases. Not who did it. It's never been a case of who did it for, for, for me. Do Does it? she focus more on how the impossibility the, of how the, the towers how fell. fell? Yeah, the fact that it was nothing to do with... From a scientific From angle. a scientific per, uh, point of view, uh, and analytical, in an analytical sense, with all experiment, experiments undertaken in terms of, you know, I mean, we don't want to go into too much of the facts of this. No, she's saying that, like, the, the physics... The physics of it don't, don't add, add up. up. I mean, 
I'll just throw this fact up there for everyone uh, listening. When they were hit, they come down faster than the rate of freefall gravity. So that means actually the towers come down faster than they actually should have. But due to their height and size, they should have come down in about 10.5, 10.8 seconds. But the first one come down in about 9.7 or 9.8 and the other one was just under that. So they actually even broke the laws of physics when they fell. So that's just, uh, I'll throw that one out for anyone, but that's a true fact about the Twin Towers. And that's just one fact that you can find in her book. So there's, there are great literary works and, and her one is um, right up there, dude. You know. Yeah, I've I've read David Icke's book, The Trigger. Yeah, I own, own but haven't got into, but I must admit, it's a big book, isn't it's it? It's a big one, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he actually wrote a smaller book before that that's got an amazing title, as a lot of his books have, <laughs> Alice in Wonderland and the World Trade Centre Disaster. Yeah, I mean, what a title. Love that, David. <laughs> but, yeah, The Trigger's <laughs> a bit more extensive, and that does go more into not just... I mean, it does touch on the stuff that you're talking about and, and goes through, like, the physics of it and, and focuses on how it's got more in common with a, a controlled demolition. Because mm -hmm. if you watch, I mean, things like Zeitgeist go into this as well. When you watch towers actually falling in real life and then towers that have gone down in a controlled demolition mm -hmm. and then you have them side by side, you say, which one looks more like 9-11, you know? There's so many news clips of people saying, and then the towers fell, and I heard a boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. And then the next person would say, boom, 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 boom. And they're all recounting this same thing, which was basically controlled explosions going down the floors of the towers, one after the next, well, after the next, it, boom, boom, if boom, If it wasn't boom. a controlled explosion, there was some sort of reaction. Let's at least call it that. There's some sort of reaction had gone off on each floor. If we can't, if an explosion would define it by explosives, maybe not the best way of putting it, but definitely a reaction that caused a sound that then enabled the next one to come down and follow it. Could be an energy weapon. Could, could be an explosion. Could be anything, but enough that it distinctly left the noise and then it then left a chain after it. The actual... Yeah, like pops. Yeah, the National Institute, Institute for Standards and Technology, which actually did the report for how the towers came down, they actually put the... They, they put it down to possible or probable collapse from pancaking. Yeah, right, okay. But they the floors didn't pancake because there was actually nothing left of any of the floors when they just dustified so even their report yeah, they were like disintegrated, disintegrated. so yeah. even their report on how the towers came down is completely false full of holes and completely untrue and they were i mean you were showing me some photos earlier of steel that has been melted to like 2000 molten, yeah, molten lava pools of it on the street next to that what was their dude paper it's paper next to molten pools of lava on the street. How is that paper not burnt to a cinder? If the towers did burn up or exploded, all the paper you see on the pavement should have been burnt to a cinder. Why was the streets covered in paper? You know, it, there's a lot. It's like something that's targeted just to these steel girders. The girders, yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't fire. So, yeah, I mean... And also, yeah, to burn it to that temperature, jet fuel from a plane crash or whatever. burn all that stuff to a cinder, yeah. Yeah, or, or or could it even get that hot? Exactly, couldn't. You know, it's, 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 yeah. there's a lot of stuff like we're saying here. There's yeah. a great lot of. Well, the David Icke book focuses on that, but then it also talks about things like the fact that there was no military response. There was no response from NORAD, which 
that would usually happen. For example, there was suspicious. once um, a plane that was flying towards, I think it was George Bush's ranch, and suddenly planes come down in the sky, intercepted, you know, that would be the usual protocol. But on the day of 9-11, that didn't happen. And there was also these training exercises, yeah, which they also, and the training exercises were very similar in terms of what they were simulating to 9-11. Preparing for a terrorist attack. Exactly, yeah. And, what, and that is something that occurs again and again in so many conspiracies. For example, 7-7 that we were talking about earlier, the London bombings, they were running training exercises same, that day. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, so when it comes to the real thing or the, the day of the event, they don't know what's a training exercise and what's the actual, actual terrorist attack. And obviously there's going to be a massive confusion there. And the fact that that wasn't just the case on 9-11, but it was the case on 7-7 and other similar events, is you know, that really makes you think. Yeah, obviously there's the whole controversy about Building 7. I mean, I saw a clip recently because people are obviously posting old clips up because it's the 20th anniversary. Yeah. And, and one of the clips was a news report. We were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Where there's this whole... There's this whole section where they're talking about Building Seven collapsing, and you can see in the background it hasn't it hasn't collapsed yet. It's Jesse Ventura on TV, and he's saying like, yeah. you, they, BBC are reporting that Building like, Seven has collapsed. It's like that being that's being fed to him, or he's reading off something. Yeah, in the background, it's clearly not there. Like it was meant, it was going to come down anyway. Sorry, guys, that was always going to come down as well. But he's talking in detail about something that hasn't happened yet. It's like, we can see, you You know we can see behind you. It's like a old school pantomime, like, it's behind you! Look! Building 7! It's down there! And Building 7, obviously the whole controversy with that is that it came down, but, but nothing hit it. Nothing actually and, and hit then, and, then the what the, and then what did they say? Oh no, it was meant to be brought down that day. Uh, hang on, you were gonna you were gonna demolish a building the same day. And then oh, the fact that they draw Please. attention to that, you're then like, okay, so that was a controlled demolition. Well that looks almost identical to what that <laughs> was like. So next to it, yeah. Isn't that the same thing? No 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 that's from a plane. They all fall like that. Trust me. <laughs> but they don't. No, that we don't. We we've established the point being is we we've established right now from definitely some great literary literary works that it wasn't the work of, um, unfortunately, two planes. It was a lot greater scheme than that. And, you know, you, there's so many sort of great things about them th throwing stuff out to sort of leave the passport behind. There was a few passports, like, randomly a found. a few Qurans as well. As well, yeah. Like, they, 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 like, oh, they were just like, <laughs> it, I mean, it just feels so lazy, like, Chuck a few uh, Qurans next to the like, next to these fake passports of these guys who could never fly planes and yeah out of all the things they would leave behind the thing <laughs> most precious to them <laughs> the holy Quran just chuck that won't be needing that anymore I know you know in fact the day and like they weren't burnt to a crisp oh yeah no of course they weren't not with like jet fuel they were, were just you, yeah I mean that was another thing wasn't it when you saw like the uh, the wreckage being taken away from the crash at the Pentagon, which is a whole another there was nothing, topic there entirely. Was nothing, there was nothing there. And there was just like <laughs> nothing there. Like they were sort of like taking away half a wing of and it's yeah, like, like I thought, I thought a Boeing 757 hit this building. It's yeah, it's just like, yeah, take our word for it. Like we never saw 
the wreckage. No the, the wreckage we saw wasn't a bloody wreckage. It was like a few bits of twisted oh, metal. All right, try this for you. Okay, the Pentagon has security cameras all across it, everywhere, all right? Find me one piece of Pentagon footage that shows a plane hitting the side of it. Show me it. Show me a video of a plane hitting the side of the building from the inside. And, and then, and of, then course, of course, there was a whole scandal with the Pentagon almost... I think it was days before. Days before. Well, what did they come up the day before the task hit about the missing money in Congress? $2.2 trillion? Yeah. Just missing from the budget? Hmm. Not, didn't go into the military budget, did it? No. Not possible. Didn't fund an energy weapon by chance. No. <laughs> Don't tell me the plane hit the hit the part of the building where all the records were that I'm, I'm afraid it so. It did. did. <laughs> yeah. It did. And there's no way we'll ever know now where all that money went. Oh, what a shame. Damn it. So, yeah, I mean, it, we're joking about it, but there, there is a lot of quite empirical evidence, what I would call, yeah. the, and then, that satisfies these claims for me. Yeah, and then, you've got, and then you've got the whole other side of it, like the supposed hijackers that flew these planes, they all had flying lessons and they were hopeless. And hopeless at flying, you know, small, small planes. Mm-hmm. Two-man aircraft or whatever, not not Boeing seven four sevens or whatever. Like they would have not been able to do this I mean, feat. Yeah, I mean this is different. They to, were not capable of doing it. It's probably like tr- driving a toy car with a remote control and then putting someone in a real car and be like, "There you go," and they'd be like, "Um, right, uh, on a Formula One track." Yeah, like, um, where's the reverse? It doesn't have a reverse, right? Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, and how... then, like, you know, you find out one of the planes was taken over and they were armed with box cutters. One of the know. planes had, like, a Marine on it, like a yeah. former judo champion. And I'm like, don't tell me a former judo, judo champion and a, a Marine wouldn't fight to the death at face with a pair of box cutters. Oh, no, nah, come on, man. And then, you know, when all said and done, they say, right, Osama... He's the man that's done it. The same day, remember, within that, the same day, we were told the same yeah. day, by the way. I mean, how do you he, find out the same day? And he, he always denied it. He said, I wish it was me. I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. They did make out like once or twice, like, oh, we have him on video um, ex- uh, acknowledging or saying he, he accepted them. But the only thing he ever did was agreed with the attacks. I don't think Osama bin Laden ever claimed responsibility. No. I think he agreed with them because... Which you would, think he would. Well, yeah. Really? I mean, I mean he'd, be, he'd be like, I'll take the privilege for that one. I mean... Yeah, you'd think he would have done a uh, Gaddafi and just taken all the credit for it, but he, he was obviously more of a kind of modest, <laughs> modest guy. Modest terrorist. I would love to say it was me, but <laughs> it was not me. He was very modest for Al-Qaeda. Genius plan. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't mine, but... <laughs> my uh, hat, sorry, my turban, sorry, <laughs> after then. It was genius plan. Some of my idiots couldn't, couldn't drive toy car, fly plane. <laughs> Don't be crazy. Yeah, like, this guy is living in a cave. I know. hunted relentlessly by us. Like hunted relentlessly. Yeah, like he orchestrated this and, and from, and, from and a some, cave. And somehow always managed to get, be one step ahead of us. We've got like satellites that scan the ground and can see where things are. You tell me a man in a cave managed to yeah. outmaneuver us for that many years. Then you had the weirdness of like, yeah, we caught him and he's dead. Take a word for it. I mean, there was a picture that is just, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the 
photos side by side. Like there's a photo of Osama bin Laden when he's alive next to the photo that he's dead, and you can see they've just taken that almost like stock photograph like and, it and then just him. Resident Eviled it up and made it look like a dead face. But it's the same picture. I mean, it's it's not even that could a Photoshop job. And they never showed the body or anything. Oh, yeah, we dumped well, him at sea. Well, wanted, it was at sea, right? Well, one I mean, thing they wanted to broadcast, they wanted to broadcast that video of Hillary and um, Obama watching the video, but we could only see them, couldn't we? We couldn't see what they were yeah, watching. Right, yeah. And they were like, this is the moment the Navy SEALs broke into Osama's compound in Pakistan and shot him dead, apparently. And they're shot, like, shot oh, look, gasp me. Okay, all right. For one minute, we have no idea what they're watching there. And... Like, was it Osama was actually killed? There was Osama dead already. Could just been someone else. Osama could be alive, or we know. But at the same time, we all, we're all just led to believe, just like 9-11, through the media, to believe what we see is true, isn't it? You know, at that moment, we think, oh, we've got Bin Laden. At that moment, you probably thought, oh, we've got him, we've got him. But at the same time, was I he... mean, look at their reaction. Yeah, but was he ever responsible? If th- if that's not a genuine reaction, I don't know what is. Yeah. Did you hear the gasps? They saw him all right. They sounded pretty genuine gasps to me. One of them even put their hand over their mouth. I mean, they were they were shocked. Yeah. Would have been nice for them to turn the camera around, but I guess it was too graphic. They're just trying to protect us. It's kind of beautiful that we wage this big war and terror all for it to end with we dashing in a compound, killing Osama Bin Laden. And we got him. And it's all like, after all that, it was like, by the way, he was never, ever responsible for what we've all been led to believe that he did. I mean, they tried to pin it on him. It, it did look good for a while, but slowly but surely, since the events, and then like we said, this has been 20 years on now, dude. It's been a long time. Um, there is a lot out there that would definitely suggest otherwise. Well, you realise, like you you mentioned earlier, like, and it was the same day or the next day or whatever, they... they pinned it on him, you realise that, okay, it's kind of like strike while the iron's hot. Everyone is outraged and everyone wants an answer, wants mm. someone to blame for this. Exactly. And then, boom, you give it to them. He's probably going to be number one. He had the look. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's this guy. I knew it was him. Well, how did <laughs> I've never seen him before, but I knew it was him. How, how did how did Borat call him call him in the film? Uh, you you he looks like the dirty wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like talk about a poster boy for fear. Like he's there with his like long spindly like evil looking beard, dark eyes. Yeah. But- the whole headdress, Arabic headdress, to make him look even more foreign and fearful. He does. He's got like an evil wizard or like evil genie. Like he's a genie, but all the wishes he's going to grant you are kind of going to backfire in a really terrible way, like the Wishmaster. <laughs> yeah, so he's such an easy guy to pin it on. And just, you know, people would, your average person, would they'd never heard of this guy. No. But they're just like, he's who? Right, yeah, he's he's a Islamic extremist. Yeah, they had a whole, um, they had his whole, like, his whole CV ready for you, didn't they? Like, oh, he'd, yeah. had, he'd be joined here, he was Al-Qaeda. Funny enough, educated, wasn't he in Oxford? He was England. He was England. Yeah, right. Educated over here in England. But uh, somehow managed to... He's a cave dweller. <laughs> yeah, and he's... Got like a mad terrorist cell, you know, under his command. You know, we, we know everything about him all of a sudden. Like we said at the start, though, we want to focus more on how it how 9-11 is affecting our world. Yeah. Because I, I, I do feel like everything else has been covered extensively. And if people really want to look into this in a big way, definitely check out the oh, yeah. stuff that we mentioned earlier. Be our guest. But <laughs> Be our guest. 
But um, but one of the immediate ways it affected us, obviously, it dragged us into the the war on terror. Yeah, coined, um, coined. First, right, first time it was the phrase was coined, wasn't it? Really, post nine eleven war on. Yeah, well, it well it was cut sort of terrorists for a long time, and then it kind of got shortened to terror. Yeah, snappier and. Kind of funny that you, you can own the word terror. You know, if you hear a terror attack, you know, a terror attack could be, getting attacked by a dog could be pretty terrifying, wouldn't it? But now they sort of own, it's like terror, TM. You know who we're talking about. It's not a terror attack when the US is drone striking a village of women and children. and <laughs> like, Yeah, like a hospital out in Iraq or something. Oh, that's not a terror attack. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 it's only a terror attack when these people do it. Then it's terror, but when we do it, it's like targeting some insurgents. Yeah, it was the, it was the first time that they wanted to start scaring us with this phrase, war, war on terror. And that was the first time they wanted to start moving in new rules and new regulations. And then suddenly it was like our privacy was kind of out the window because everything was kind of focused on well you know now we've got to change laws so we can look at your emails or listen to your phone calls to find terrorists it's yeah, all in you, the name of fighting the war on terror you know, if you if we suspect you of having yeah. phone if you're a terrorist i mean you know you've got nothing to hide you've nothing to worry about well, you know well, we should be able to look through this stuff because if you're clean you're clean yeah. people would have been up in arms about it this is our privacy how dare you but once you put that out there was to find terrorists oh you can't argue with that no, I, mean, I, I don't i just see there's two towers come down don't want another 9 11 no god no whereas the actual facts of that is they've never actually stopped one single terrorist attack happening by intercepting emails, phone calls or anything else that I mean they probably messages. they probably claimed to have done, but I still didn't stop buses hitting people in Belgium and France and whatnot and none of the major ones were none, stopped, you know. By that. Well, they say the seven seven we mean we're not gonna get into this but the seven seven almost done the dry run of London, from Leeds to London three, three or four times, didn't they? They've actually done the dry run. So they, we didn't manage to pick them up the first time they've done a little dry run. <laughs> yeah. dry, dry, run around the, dry run around the underground. So we couldn't get them the first or the second time. Yeah, right. I'm not so, surprised they got away with it. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, like you mentioned, there's been all these these attacks since. It hasn't really stopped that, but it's not stopped them, them spying on us and taking away our privacy. Mm. You know, it's just like the mob. They're sort of saying, oh, we're the only ones that can protect you, so we've got to, you know, really, like, <laughs> the only ones you need protecting from is them. Yeah. But they're always kind of stepping in and doing everything in the name of protection, and it's, it's for your own good. But, yeah, like, to relate it back to the current crisis, the current pandemic and all the privacy that's gone out the window there, too, with people's you know, public health records now. People are getting stopped on the street. Why are you not wearing a mask? I'm exempt. Tell me why. I, I don't have to tell you my medical history. And then cops stepping in and being like, no, you do have to, you know, they don't even know the law. And they're suddenly telling people that they've got to announce what, whatever their medical condition is that they can't wear a mask. Yeah, I mean, some... some and the fact that they're making them wear them in the first place is just mental anyway some people some person who might have a medical condition who cannot wear a mask and who might be uncomfortable with actually telling someone out loud what that condition is will be forced in that position to tell them and that that's not right i mean they no one should be have to have that coerced out of them especially if it makes someone comfortable and there's no genuine reason in the first place for them to wear that mask as well 
So definitely you'd say personal privacy has definitely been infringed as uh, fringed just like after 9-11 as it has been with the pandemic. You know, we definitely have our own personal privacy affected. Like terrorism, COVID is this invisible threat and it's and this time it's coming from inside our own society. I mean they even call they even call it a terror cell. Yeah. A virus from inside of society. <laughs> the enemy's now within. It's now bacterial form. Anyone could be a terrorist. Anyone could be a spreader. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. You know was, what I mean? They always called them sometimes those sleeper cells. But they haven't been activated yet in society. Yeah. He's a sleeper cell. Yeah, the fact that it's something, it's like, it's not tangible. You can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it. It's its its kind of whatever they want it to be. You know what I mean? It's kind of like these invisible threats, they're the best threats because like a kind of mountain of lies that you just keep them adding more and more lies to, you can, you can twist it, you can sculpt it in any kind of way you want. You can make it grow bigger, <laughs> yeah. get smaller, disappear completely, come back with a vengeance. Yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy that they have that have that in common, and really now, like nine eleven and COVID, seem like the two big milestone, oh, catastrophic like, things and world changing events that have happened now oh, over the last twenty years. Yeah, I think the craziest thing also even about like the terror cell is it it being invisible is just like COVID. Do we know how serious the threat is, if there is any at all? Because it's not actually got a face, is it? You know, we haven't seen COVID in reality. Just like real terror, we we can't, we don't have an actual face for it, except when they put Osama Bin Laden's face <laughs> up for it. Oh, I recognise terror then. That was obvious. But like you said, like the poster boy for fear, because it's so well hidden, and they can keep attaching it to different things. But like you say, never really have an obvious face for it. Yeah, the war on terror is really was this idea of like a never-ending war. It's just something that could just go on and on and on. We're going to keep going after all the terror now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, Team America. Yeah. You know, police in the world. Like, we won't stop until all the terror's gone. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of how it led what came on from 9-11 was this now frequent domino effect of, yeah, we're going to go after this bad guy now. We're going to go after this bad guy now. Exactly, yeah. It's like one villain after the next. You had like Osama, it's like Saddam and the weapons of mass destruction that were also non-existent. <laughs> just the same as the other threats we were talking about. Just complete work of fiction. They never existed. <laughs> never found those. But the perception of them was enough. enough. The invisible threat of them was just as great as if they had existed. Yeah, yeah. And that's Just true. the perception is all that was necessary. Then Gaddafi. But there, there's a great... Um, you can look this up on YouTube. Uh, former U.S. General Jen Wesley Clark, he said in a televised interview, it's in like March two thousand and seven, and he, he he talks about a war in seven countries in five years. Yeah. It was obviously a lot longer than five years. I mean, really, we're saying the twentieth anniversary. It's almost like the exit plan has been bang on the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven. But Wesley Clark said that. About 10 days after 9-11, he went into the Pentagon and one of the generals called him in for a chat and he said, we've made the decision, we're going to war with Iraq. 10 days afterwards. And then bear in mind, this is Iraq, not Afghanistan. Yeah. Iraq. To which he replied, why? And the general said, don't know. And when he's saying this, because he's saying it in front of a live studio audience, 
the studio audience kind of nervously laughs because they're just like, what a reaction from a general at the Pentagon. And he replies, I, I guess they don't know what, what else to do. And then Clark says, did they find some new information to connect Saddam to Al-Qaeda then? <laughs> and he says, no, they just made the decision. And then um, oh, he went on man. to say, we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. I guess if the only tool you have is a hammer, then every problem's got to look like a nail. These are the orders from way up high. I don't know why, but I'm on a need-to-know basis and this is what I've, been told. what I've been told. And really, that's how it works, isn't it? It's, you know, everyone's compartmentalised, even though he's the general and he's in the Pentagon and he's very high up. He only knows what the level above him has told. Right, this is the plan, we're doing this now. Don't ask questions, just do it. doesn't make sense to him, but he figures, well, it must make sense. They must have intel that I don't have, follows the orders, imposes them on the level down from him, and so on and so on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is, it is fantastic, actually. It, does, it follows on with a bit more, doesn't it? Yeah, so then, then he, he came back to the Pentagon a few weeks later, mm. and by that time... The U.S. was bombing in Afghanistan. <laughs> Rain of fire. And he said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, no, it's worse than that. Um, reached over to his desk to a piece of paper. Mm. And he said, oh, I just got this from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defence's office. And um, he said, yeah, this is a, a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off in Iran. And literally just listed the countries in order to Jim Wesley Clark. And this was obviously a matter of weeks after 9-11. And now looking back at that retrospectively, that's pretty much exactly how it panned out. Okay, not in five years, more like 20 years. And we're still not out of there yet. But... They pretty much did it. They set out. They yeah. they set out to do what they wanted to do. Yeah, it's hard to dispute that, and I would definitely uh, recommend looking that clip up because when I saw that, I was, I was just completely yeah. Like, it, my my jaw was on the floor. It's it's very emotionless. If anything else, it's just a thing that that they could just decide like that. We're just going to go cause all this chaos in these countries. You know, when you think about going to war, what he was well, saying it just. Straight away, it just makes you feel like, well, it, it's a plan that they had already, mm -hmm. already planned yeah. out oh, yeah. over years, and 9-11 was just the catalyst for that. Or as David Hart put it, the trigger. Then if you look into the wars that the general was talking about, and everything that was gained from them wars, I mean, obviously you've got oil. And I think... A lot of people that With obvious, maybe... Obvious uh, resources do, don't it? Yeah. yeah, like people that are even a little suspicious or sceptical about the wars, who think they know it all, they might be like, yeah, it's all about oil, isn't it? <laughs> and they think they cracked it. And you're like, well, yeah, that's definitely a part of it. But there's so much more to gain than that. I mean, you were talking earlier about the, um, the heroin. Well, the most interesting thing, actually, about the sort of wars that were created was Afghanistan is the biggest producer of heroin in the world. And other than the obvious stuff that we were talking about, like, oh, it's oil, you forget the CIA when they sort of broke into Afghanistan and the biggest thing they knew they wanted to control was heroin. And I'm pretty sure for fact that a lot of the heroin trade fell into the CIA's hands during this period of 20 years. So 
don't tell me that they go into these countries to take just what we call the vi the viable trades. All the black market trades right, yeah. are much more profitable because you know why? They're not accountable. You don't know how much hair, yeah. hair is tra traveling on CIA controlled planes. You don't know how much it's worth to these government programs, you know, of furthering more coups in countries and stuff. And war is big money in itself. And obviously selling arms, which is a big part of it. I mean, so many times they're, they're, they're supplying arms <laughs> to like militias or like, you know, forces that are fighting other forces that they're fighting. And, and you think, oh, okay, this is how it works. Well, Syria is like that. Syria is like a proxy war, isn't it? It's like these guys fighting with these guys fighting these guys and we're selling arms to these guys. Yeah. But those guys are kind of with us, but they're actually fighting the people that we're actually supplying guns to. So. Yeah. War, like you just say, is big money. I mean, you look at the contract that the Saudis have with the British and the Americans. It's, it's, it's like billions of billions of arms. Yeah, you know, it, and so hypocritical as well because we're told that the reason we're invading all these countries is because look what they're doing in these countries. They're human rights abusers, but the Saudis who are human rights abusers. Oh yeah, we, or we give them a free pass because. <laughs> You have a different kind of relationship with them. Like they, they ignore that. Yeah. So they sort of act like the world police, but they give other countries that they're matey with a free pass. So, so you know it's not about that. Couldn't put it better, mate. I mean, you know what? You, you nailed it with Saudi because look at how Yemen is affected with Saudi. I mean, the Saudis are affecting in Yemen at the moment, and uh, we're sending food and aid and war aid over to the Yemenis people that have been sort of in this war and one or one side of the war is being supplied with Saudi arms by a Saudi government and the other side of the war is by the still pro Yemeni government and obviously we want to get our Saudi government in but it's funny how we're sending all this war aid for clothes and food but we're supplying bombs and guns to the Saudis that are actually killing those people in that country I mean who's the biggest terrorist now Who's the real tyrannical order here? Yeah. Just profiteering of all this pain and suffering. It's despicable, if anything, yeah. man. But we said before, war is big money. You know, these bombs and these guns, they're worth a lot of money and they, they can be sold for a lot of money. Well, that's when you, when you hear, we're giving this much money to education and this much money to the NHS, it's, it's one thing. But then when you, when you listen to the money that they're giving to, like, the war effort or whatever, it's, it's always like trillions, it, it's just a ridiculous figure, like, it's like, like trillions upon trillions and you're like, wow, that's, I can't even picture that amount of money. But when it's war, it's like, oh yeah, you're trillions, trillions. <laughs> well, could you, could you imagine that the, the Americans' defence budget uh, during this time when they were launching all these wars, one after the other, Afghanistan and Iraq, imagine all this money they spent on tanks and Bombs and guns and their tanks and their bombs and their guns. They're <laughs> fighting like, you know, zombie. You know, just like the cranberries put it. But with all all this money they invested in all these wars and this this evil and this 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 despair, couldn't they just give on that to like help their own governments? Their people are homeless on the streets. Their failing health systems. Universities that are very poor that need money to help their their yeah. students get better educated, uh, poor suffering neighbourhoods in depraved cities in America, and yet, they, no, we'll yeah. just rather spend all this and money on... And they're desolating other cities, cities. and other neighbourhoods and communities. When you see what 
the city looked like before and then what it looked like afterwards and it and it's oh, just rubble any it? so any city i dare any, I, I dare anyone to do this yeah we were look bombing at, the freedom into them look at any of the cities in iraq that we bombed and to you it will bring tears to your eyes where this is where people used to live how would you feel if your whole house was flattened your whole neighborhood was flattened your whole town was just flattened you know, and all the aid of what? All in the name of terrorism. Terrorism. We're fighting the war on terror. We're really killing men, women and children, but we call them insurgents. Yeah. So that's not really brought to your attention. You don't even see them as humans. This is the thing. It is pretty terrible war. I mean, look, look at the things that come out of war in terms of like prisoners. I mean, often casualty of war is also prisoners, people that often are kept against their own will. Well, yeah, for of, no course, charges. of course you had the setup of... Guantanamo Bay. What a lovely place to go on holiday. And you might never get out. Yeah, I've never seen a detention camp quite like that. I mean, I I actually done a project about that at uh, college. You told um, me about this. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, where it was like uh, you had to show off your like Photoshop skills doing this like poster for uh, a charity or Amnesty International thing. Yeah. And I did this poster where it was like a, a photo of the prisoners with their orange jumpsuits on but the photo was black and white but i'd cut them out so the orange jumpsuits oh, awesome. like pop through yeah. and then it said uh, it's illegal to torture prisoners in america and then at the bottom so they take them to cuba <laughs> but yeah oh, even dear. then i remember seeing them photos when i was at college and thinking my god this is horrendous because i kind of done a little bit of reading into it and it was talking about how they put these headphones on them with like white noise or like really crazy music playing for like hours and hours and hours on end and they had the they had masks on <laughs> i mean again it's kind of weird they had masks on they're all two meters apart and and in, and in detention camps kind of like being in lockdown isn't it but yeah right mm, i mean more similarities there mm. yeah and and similar to mk ultra and stuff like that but this this just seemed like horrendous i mean this was like it was torture although they weren't sort of strapped in to some like awful medieval like torture <laughs> chamber like <laughs> track or whatever like it's still torture maybe even worse i mean this is more like chinese water torture psychological, psychological. dismantling like what they put headphones on goggles and tie their hands behind their backs in these awkward positions for hours and then put them in isolation then take them out and then do i mean my god this is like hell on earth probably want Rather have death from a thousand cuts or something, you know what I mean? I mean, this is like horrible. nightmare stuff, and they were just getting away with this in the in in the name of fight and terror. Like some of these people were innocent, and most of these people well, were well, wrong well, place, wrong time, and they were subjected to this. Well, I think you know, it's, suddenly it's the point they don't get a fair trial, is it? It's the fact that once they go to Guantanamo, that's it. You're kind of behind a door that really don't open for you until yeah. until like international rights committee have to yeah. get in you're basically stuck in a nightmare you're like in the movie like hostel or saw or something you're you're like just in a bloody torture mental torture chamber for god knows how long some some people have been there for years maybe decades they might not have done anything wrong as i say i can only compare all the white noise like those prisoners get a grantano to all the stuff that people probably had to sit at home and get fed through the televisions during the pandemic. Another way it affected our world is it definitely increased racial tensions and division amongst the population. Yeah. And I think COVID's done that in a different kind of way. It's sort of like the vaxxed versus the unvaccinated. 
still like yeah. breeding the same kind of division, you know. And during the COVID period as well, there's been so much identity politics and division going on. In on top of that as well. In you know, it was the different sort of divisions if you think about it. I mean, it was racial tensions really, wasn't it? It was the whole being fear of Islam and Muslims, especially if they look like um, especially Orthodox Orthodox Muslims. Like it was a lot of oh yeah, especially be fearful in, of them, wasn't it? And especially in the UK, it was like. Yeah, it felt like an attack on Islam, but an attack on Muslims as well. And in France, you had like ban the burqa. Yeah, kind of crazy that like ban the burqa, and now it's like wear a face covering. Yeah, or yeah, well no, this, this is the same division we're talking about. You know, in the streets there'll be people walking around wearing face masks, looking at a person not wearing one, and somehow being annoyed at them. A bit yeah, like tutting. A bit like in nine. Underneath their mask, so you can't tell, but they're tutting. You know, like it, it, it could probably yeah. be the same sort of person that would be walking around after nine eleven, and be like, "Well, I want them to remove their burqa in a bank." You know, they should be taking it off at airports. You can't see their face. You can't see their face. You can see their eyes. You don't know what they could be hiding under there. And now they're like, "You can see their face." <laughs> <laughs> the opposite, complete inversion. Yeah, and like during the whole gang culture, knife crime out of control period in Britain, where that was like the real fear peddling thing, there was like this whole movement to like ban the hoodie and when you were going into like supermarkets or shopping centres or whatever, that they were asking you like, can you take the hoodie off please? And you're like, oh God, you know. I don't remember walking into Sainsbury's and them literally being like, can you take your hood down? And then like now you're walking into the supermarket and they're like, can you put a mask on? It's like, do you want me to come covered or uncovered? I'm not quite sure how this works now. Yeah, and, and I think it's funny how they sort of like, they always seem to bring these things down to like a tribal level, like it's these kind of people, it's the, the, the people not wearing a mask, they're the anti-maskers, the anti-vaxxers, the one you, you should be scared of. These people all wearing the burkas, or these lot with the hoodies, what, they've got their hoods up, they've got a knife. Yeah. <laughs> like they're the ones in the gangs, like these hoodies, oh, I've heard about them. Yeah. And they always kind of bring it down to like, oh, you know, it's this group of people in society to blame and this is how to identify them. Yeah, this yeah. bit of clothing that they're wearing or not wearing and yeah the, the the division is the the main point you know you get people separated and all arguing angry at each other yeah so because of the wars you've then had this huge displacement of people and then refugees flooding into countries in europe and everywhere else so on top of the racial divisions that we're already talking about then you have mass immigration because of the countries that we've been bombing the shit out of yeah. and the fact that we've destabilised so many people's lives that they're, they're being forced to do that and then suddenly that's just adding more and more fuel to the fire and is destabilising the West as well as the countries that we're actually invading. Yeah. It's having this knock-on effect where, it, where it's actually destabilising our society and making our society more chaotic than it was before, creating more division, more problems, and it's all as a result of these needless wars. I think as well as division, it just bred a lot of suspicion and paranoia in people as well. Like I remember there's a, I think it's in a Ricky Gervais stand-up, where he's saying that he got on a flight, even though he's in like first class, like this fella gets on the... the same flight as him and he's dressed in like full robe and turban or whatever and 
got a long beard. And Ricky Gervais is saying that there's two parts of his brain, you know, the logical part of his brain. Like, he's obviously some rich, like, you know, sultan or something. Nothing like, to be fearful. Or, or just like a normal guy that's just in first class, like, relax. And then the other side of his, like, his brain, he's got a bomb. <laughs> but I, I almost remember, like, after... Definitely after the seven seven bombings as well, like getting on the London Underground and sort of be and being nervous and thinking, oh my god, someone's just got in with a backpack or whatever. Like it, it really bred this suspicion and paranoia in people. It was horrible, really. I mean, who wants to be like suspicious of their their neighbour, their fellow man in that way? Like it's yeah. it's horrible. Like just just like Ricky Gervais said, you kind of feel you feel so ashamed because you're like, oh my god, I'm, I'm you know, sort of prejudging someone, you know, just because he's. Probably got a slight different colour skin to me. He's got a backpack on. Yeah, and a beard. <laughs> yeah, you can't help it. You've had it so drummed into you. The the fear mongering is so strong. And you know it's the same during this COVID era for some people. Oh, they're looking at people not wearing masks and they're fearful of them. I've had people dart out the way in a supermarket because they've oh, gone up, seen someone without a mask on and they're, you know, dodging the virus and acting in such a irrational way. And you can imagine people after 9-11 or whatever getting off trains or something because yeah. they're like he could be a terrorist it's it, it's breeding this like paranoia and fear it, to uh, just the next level it, like. it might make the same for a lady like I said to move out of the way or to go in a different queue in, in a supermarket oh he's not wearing a mask he could be a carrier and it's like there's nothing yeah wrong a with super me. spreader nothing wrong with me love the paranoia and the fear that it creates is exactly the same i mean if you think about it also, the impact that that fear also created the chaos, a lot of things that came after it, like, example, airports. Yeah, airports. I was watching something recently, and, and it was about, like, commercial airline travel, but back in, like, the, the golden age of, like, aviation. <laughs> yeah, and where, where it, was, it looked really luxurious, and people were kind of, like, getting on these planes that had, like, lounge areas, and they're almost, like, very posh train carriages hey, look, we remember the BA adverts BA adverts British Airways don't we even in that era yeah it was still wasn't <laughs> it like they resold it to you like yeah. flying would be a dream yeah. yeah yeah or like even say in the era that um, Catch Me If You Can is set in oh, it's yeah. still very much like oh would oh. you like a whiskey on the rocks sir like let yes. me take your coat you know it's like and and then like the the air hostesses are really glamorous. I mean, they're hardly glamorous now, are they? It'd be like some some old crow. Like, do you want your peanuts or not? Allergies. <laughs> we got an allergy. <laughs> Row seven. Like airports and airline travel has changed so much anyway. That's the point. Yeah, it, dramatically. Yeah. It's not what it used to be. I feel like they used to sort of sell it as an experience within itself. Travel thousands of miles up. You'll be in the in the cloud, silver service. But now it's just to go to an airport to travel looks well. What isolation, flowchart tests, queuing with masks on. Yeah, well, I mean, before we yeah, before we even get to where it is now, yeah, like just the leap after nine eleven. So it's already pretty bad. Breath. Like you know, so you said about the the BA advert. Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of remember a time where if, if you were getting on a flight or whatever, it was British Airways or it, it took a while for there to be like EasyJet. Yes. The it's like the, the Primark of airlines. Yeah, the budget. It's like what Iceland is to supermarkets. He's even got the same horrible orange logo. Hey man, I like Iceland, man. <laughs> There's some good stuff in them freezers. 
<laughs> yeah, the fast fashion of airline travel. Yeah. It's like no thrills. It was super cheap, but you didn't get any food. It's got to the point now where there's like Ryanair and you don't even get like drop down tables. Yeah, yeah I know. The I seats just, aren't even really padded. Like, it, it, it's a pretty cruddy way of flying. You, you have know? to pay for like everything is extra. Like you have to pay for like, one kilogram more of luggage if you want like even like I'm gasping could I have a drink of water that that'll be three pounds please sir like well, yeah three pounds if you're it's like water should be like a human right you know what I mean <laughs> it's like you have to pay for everything yeah I'm yeah. like surprised like when you go to a toilet you don't have to like scan your card for it to release some toilet paper you to wipe your ass with like, that that costs extra <laughs> no I was gonna say yeah you know, I, I got a good story that actually did relate to how you know, things did change in airports after 9-11 because I went travelling. And I remember me and my friend Mike, when we uh, got to J JFK, um, we had, well, actually when we were flying out of JFK uh, to the West Coast, we, we had to put our shoes, which I've never done before, bearing in mind I've been across to Spain and into Europe. And this was like 2009. This was 2009. And <laughs> me and Mike had to take our shoes off and put them through a scanner. Yeah, right, yeah. And I remember Mike just standing there and he just like remember like glance at me and we glance at each other and then just look down at each other's dirty sweaty socks that we'd been standing up like in a queue for passport control in it's he, humiliating yeah it was a bit degrading yeah <laughs> i mean that's the thing it's like so air travel had, had already gone from this kind of experience and quite luxurious thing to this kind of like cheap no thrills experience but then after 9-11 it was like it going to an airport almost felt like going like being in a military compound. Suddenly, the airport staff are like barking orders at you, like "Stay there, please!" Like, right, sir, you're gonna have to empty your bag. Like, all toiletries and liquids, all toiletries and liquids. Oh, that was a big change, a massive one. I mean, and he was like, "What? I've got to chuck all this away?" Yes, yes, sir, you've got to chuck it all away. It could be a liquid bomb. Clear bags for all those sort of things, unless otherwise. I mean, you couldn't just put stuff in your bag anymore. I, we could say all in the name of security and whatnot. Because there have been instances like the shoe bomber who people have actually tried to blow up planes, but there were some crazy like new measures they, they brought in. Well, yeah, the shoe bomber was a, a British terrorist, a guy called Richard Reed, who attempted to detonate a shoe bomb while on American Airlines. And yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out. No. <laughs> I mean, this this guy's a sorry looking dude. He's got he's kind of boss eyed. Sort of looks looks like um, Islamic extremist version of Igor from Young Frankenstein. It's, it's not quite a good description actually for poor poor Richard. You know. But yeah, I mean, there's something about the the shoe bomber. Like it kind of reminds me of Austin Powers, like where where he goes like, "Who throws their shoe?" <laughs> honestly. Yeah, because basically got on a plane and he had it in his in his back of like the the the. The heel, didn't yeah. he? He tried to, as a plane, and he kind of just didn't it just explode that bit. Yeah, and, and I don't think the plane even got had got off <laughs> like the, the ground. <laughs> it's like, I thought you meant to at least do it in the air or something. It doesn't have the same effect. Too eager. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, in that example, at the same time, due to him doing that, we've. Could try to construct or set off a device in any shoe. Yeah, that obviously. I mean, what's what's kind of interesting about that as well is like removing your shoes to like enter a home or to say pray is quite customary within Islam. Mm -hmm. Like you 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 can pray with shoes on, but the point is 
that they don't want them to have impurities on them. Right. And most likely your shoes are going to be dirty. Of course, yeah. yeah so, it, yeah, it's kind of interesting that suddenly you'll be, you're at airports, you're getting asked to take your shoes off. <laughs> and and when you're doing it, it's sort of in remembrance of this guy. Do you know what I mean? It's quite a strange ritual for them people to have to do. You feel like they would just then be like, okay, when you walk through, we have something that can just scan your shoes. But no, they make you take part in this ritual. It's, you know, I wonder if that's another part of humiliation. Of, of I think so, yeah. Well. I, yeah, like I'm not saying like... See, it's an Islamic agenda. Yeah, no, no, but... Because you can also draw the same comparisons with face masks, like we did earlier. A woman having to dress in a burqa, a lot of people would see that as a as a very submissive thing. Mm. With the mask, it's... I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, they're just symbols of oppression. Yeah. And by saying to someone, like, take your shoes off. Like you said, you had sweaty socks on, or maybe you're like, you know, who wants to take their bloody shoes off at an airport? Right? Especially through that floor. I mean, how clean is that floor that I'm putting my socks on? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's demoralising and dehumanising. And now I feel like that's been taken to a new level with COVID because from what I've heard, I haven't been to an airport myself during this period, but when you're queuing up, it's two metres apart. When you get in the plane, you're packed in like sardines, but don't worry about that. <laughs> when, you're, uh, when you're queuing up, you know, it's stand on the circle, stand on the circle. It's all instructions, isn't it? That's the point. Yeah, like, instructions and orders. There's David Icke videos from 20 years ago where he's basically saying, have you noticed how they're, how they're barking more and more instructions at us all the time from every direction? Stop here, do this, don't cross there, go this way. Duh, duh, duh. And you think how that's increased now? And even somewhere like the airport, it's like, stand on that circle, or put that in a plastic bag. Or, like, just sanitise your hands here, you know. like just yeah. go on, sanitise them. Oh, yeah, better do that. Put your mask on. Yeah, like yeah. Two metres or better back off. Yeah. And what that does is that puts you in such a, subject, uh, such a submissive state of mind. You think if you're submitting to more and more rules all the time, you're, sta- you're it's getting to the bloody point where you're like, standing on a circle... And moving when you're told to move, and you're just turning more and more into a robot. Yeah, you you almost just complying with every everything they give give you. Yeah, you know. Sit down, stand up. It's, it's like being a soldier. Soldier, stand to attention. Effective. Get down on the floor and give me twenty. Yeah, like you're treated like post nine eleven. Suddenly you were just being treated more like a suspect <laughs> rather than a paying customer. Forget fucking like luxury. Like, <laughs> may I take your coat, sir? Is 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 more like empty your bags. <laughs> All electronic items out. All mobile devices. Take that coat off. I can take the lightning bolt off. Yeah, like spread them. Yeah. And you're getting like frisked. I mean, I've been frisked at some airports, and I'm like, whoa, steady on. You know, and they're like, move aside, please, sir. And you literally think like, I'm paying for this experience. This is supposed to be like, I'm going on holiday. I'm getting on a plane, right? I'm not in a military compound. You don't have to talk to me like dirt, bar orders at me. You've got orders coming out, the, the tannoy or whatever, like, make sure you have all toiletries in a plastic bag. <laughs> Dispose of all liquids. <laughs> what the hell is this? And can you imagine what it's like now, like getting your temperature checked? You have to step into them um, scanners, don't you? That it's since been proven that some of these scanners were letting off radiation that was causing cancer. Yeah. Mm. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm just getting like a healthy dose of cancer now. Like, yeah. Don't worry about the gamma rays bursting through my bloody skin. I'll be fine with that. I mean, can you make like, 
it's not hard to imagine, is it? Like a, a COVID airport in the future where they're like, can you step into the uh, detoxifier, please, sir? And you like step into something and it just sprays this poisonous mist. Like, <laughs> and you're like, <coughs> like, move aside, please, sir. And you're like, oh. <laughs> you can imagine by the time they get you out, it's like, how are you feeling? <laughs> Oh, a bit unwell. Unwell? Before your flight? Well, you just guessed me. Check his temperature. <laughs> but I, I, I joked post 9-11 of like, bloody hell, you know, airports have got so bad now. Where's it going from here? Oh. And I remember like cracking a joke with someone saying, oh God, in, in the future, it'd be like anal cavity searches as like standard and 2000, 2020, 2021, I'm hearing that, in China, they're giving people anal swaps for COVID. This is not. This is not wrong. Yeah, yeah. And they even gave <laughs> it's a plane full of school children heading. I can't remember if it was to or from Shanghai. Anal swaps. To check like young kids getting off the plane to make sure they haven't transferred yeah. COVID. Not saying guys taking up them into a room. room. Who's administrating it as well? Like, is it just some yellow jacket? Like, is, is a trained, trained on-site doctor? What, what's, what's going on here? Like, what if he's just like the, the luggage guy? Bend over. I mean, they're so heavy-handed. These luggage. Oh, guys. I wouldn't want him doing it. He'd be so rough. <laughs> someone with s- small hands, hopefully. So, like, kids are being traumatized at an airport. I know. Giving them an anal swab for something that, Completely. even if you believe in the ludicrous figures and fear monger of it all, children are not affected, affected by, by this. It. Yeah. And they're like, right, well, bend over, time for your anal don't, swab. Don't, don't get me wrong, dude. A child is going to be clearly affected after that. <laughs> Do you want to go on holiday? No! Never again! <laughs> I mean, this is the point, though, right? With air, With how... 9-11 and COVID have both affected airports. It's making the whole thing into such an ordeal that you're thinking, oh, I'll just leave going on holiday. It's, it, it feels like the whole thing is just geared up to just stop the free movement of people. They don't want people going on holiday. They just want people to stay where they are. You know? And like the end point, you feel like it's just this Hunger Games society where everyone's just in their like divisions and they never leave their like sectors or whatever. And airline travel maybe it goes back to what we were talking about before just for the elites and it's just for the elites and it is this luxurious (laughs) ah we're back here again (laughs) champagne i'll have two (laughs) all aboard the lolita express (laughs) i mean anal swabs that is just humiliation that's a humiliation ritual an anal swab yeah class swab (laughs) much swab no one knows my middle name. Clash <laughs> anal <laughs> Lockdowns are obviously a more extreme kind of version of this stopping the free movement of people as well. When you think about it, it's on like a local level, isn't it? It's like they're trying to stop people from leaving the country by making it more and more difficult. I mean, we haven't even got onto like vaccine passports. Yeah. You know, if you're not vaxxed, you're not going to be able to travel or go to certain countries. I mean, this is just outrageous it's so clearly to do with an agenda to keep people in place and and to track and trace everyone else to me it just feels like they just don't they don't want people to to leave even their homes <laughs> like they just want everyone isolated well if you think a bit like after 9-11 how cctv went up through the roof didn't it the, the amount of cctv got put up around london was huge and if you think that is another form of track and trace a bit like 
having yeah. these having these ludicrous programs going into pubs wherever you go and signing in and making a digital figure of yourself and, yeah. and this whole yeah it, that, that's another massive way it affected our privacy actually isn't it the in, increase in CCTV and now of course you've got the whole facial recognition system in China yeah that they're talking about introducing I mean I think that can even tell if people are unvaxxed or vaxxed I mean we we were only arguing after like 9-11 about the ID passports thing yeah. weren't we do you remember that was a big thing that came up yeah. after like oh everyone has to get an identification thing now you know so we can make sure that everyone's who they say they are if you're traveling from London you don't be a terrorist or anything yeah. like that so that's yeah it's not a new thing that they've been trying to push but it feels like they might have finally got there with with Covid they found a way in that's for sure with Covid I mean, can you imagine being on a long-haul flight and having to wear a mask the whole time? Like, being on a flight is bad enough. Like, the air is horrible. It's this recycled air. You always feel groggy after a yeah. flight and I, often, like, I, I, get I, ill from being I on a flight. I could probably, like, deal with a flight for just dealing with a flight, but if you ask me if I enjoy flying... No, especially no. for long distances. It, it's, it's a slog, really. Oh, I've done 15 and a half, like, 15-hour flights. Yeah. And, yeah. And... Having to wear a mask the whole time. It's like a type of torture. Again, that would be enough to make some people be like, do you know what? And then it's the quarantine in each side as well. Like, even once you've got there, you know, a few days, you have to... So people that are doing that either side of their holiday, that's eating into their holiday time and their enjoyment time, building up to the holiday. I mean, come on. Like, I, I feel like that... What are you left with <coughs> that's at like... the end of it? Plus the traumatic flights and uh, the airport. Well, uh, well <laughs> yeah, I, we're still getting over that one. I almost feel like, you know what, that's to stop you from enjoying the holiday. Because the whole point about it is always to, just to break you down, really. So if you yeah, you're probably on the holiday just by the pool, just sweating, just thinking about the journey home. home yeah. And having to have three days the other yeah. side of sitting like, oh, God. God. What am I going to do on the quarantine? So, you know, I won't be by a pool side then. Yeah, like you've got on holiday. There won't be cocktails then. You can start no relaxing even though you've finally got on holiday. There's still You're still buying into the whole rhetoric, you know. Yeah, you probably get, get back like, we'll leave the holiday next year. Yeah, <laughs> better don't love. I, I think we'll just go down to the southwest. Cornwall all right for you? Yeah, I feel like when people in positions of power, like small like small positions of power, like airport security, for example, when they get given a little bit more power, as in like, now you're not just airport security, you're looking for terrorists, then suddenly they come into work and they're... They were jacked up. They're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're all jacked up. They're thinking they're like G.I. Joe. They're like, stand there, please. Empty your bag. Empty your bag. Do to catch me a terrorist today. All liquids. Did you not hear the announcement? All liquids. They suddenly feel like now I'm cracking down on the war on terror and, and, and it all sort of goes to their head. And it's like the same like with the yellow jackets in the COVID era. Like suddenly they're like, can you put a mask on, please, sir? It's the same thing, isn't it? Like it's not the war on terror. It's like the war on COVID. It's a war and, and, and I'm fighting in the front line telling people to put their masks on. <laughs> but it's it's the busybodies, the goody goodies the the self-righteous pricks that just want to assert that little bit more authority onto everyone yeah they, 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 they can take and, and they take every little bit they can get yeah yeah it's, it's like oh any little morsel of extra yeah. power authority i can implement yeah. i will take like when my when my nan was at the nursing home and my mum went to see her there was one time where the woman said you can't come and see her um you know they weren't letting anyone in that hadn't been 
vaccinated or you know my mum couldn't even go and see her elderly mother that yeah. that was in a you know end of life stages and my mum was really really upset about that and, and and she went outside of the hospital and she sat on like a bench and then suddenly the woman was saying oh, excuse me I, you can't sit there you know it's like oh my god like people are just losing their humanity like my mum's crying on a bench and then it's like covid regulations please you can't sit on that public bench like it's just unbelievable like it's like people's humanity goes out the window and they just become a droid they just become a computer says no yeah yeah you know you don't have the respect for someone's feelings in that position probably the same for the way probably a lot of sort of muslim women felt probably at airports at those times when they were getting told you've got to remove that burqa or we've got to take you into a back room to check you all down if you won't remove your burqa in front of everyone's now that same sort of like oppression and and they take the power just because they can tell someone to do what to do there right there and then now i feel like another way that covid and 9-11 is similar as well like if you question the official narrative of either covid19 or 9-11 straight away you get this shaming this guilt tripping where people like with 9-11, they go straight to, how dare you question it? How dare you spit on the graves? No, shit on the graves of mm. the people that died, the brave firefighters. Yeah. And then with COVID, it's the same sort of thing, like by questioning the narrative, like... What about our nurses? Yeah, the old people. The doctors fighting to save people in hospitals. Yeah, and there are always things that you can't really argue with, like, well, of course I'm not trying to shit on the memory of the people that died on 9-11 or of course I'm not against the NHS or the old or the vulnerable or the sick mm. but I have a right to question the narrative when it's so full of holes and doesn't make sense to me and I think there could be a, a sinister agenda here like aren't you really doing justice to the people that died to try and find the truth right. and not just go along with the narrative that the powers that be are telling you unquestioned. Well, you've got to think, if you keep covering up the lie, you are just perpetuating the lie, and how is that honouring the memories of the people that passed? You know, I think one thing we can look at from 9-11 and compare, actually, with the pandemic is at least we've had a lot of time to reflect and look at how 9-11 has shaped our world. We, we've only just started seeing now how... Covid is impacting the world because we're not twenty years from now, dude. No, you know we're only just hitting the anniversary of nine eleven. We're only eighteen months in, starting to see how our world's going to be shaped from the new nine eleven of this generation, shall we call it? But the thing is, the point I'm getting to, dude, is we have now the information that we need and evidence that we can question and and actually find out. 9-11 was wrong, the wrong interpretation, what we were told. There's enough information out there, but probably not enough to get the ball rolling to make people question the same stuff with the pandemic. Because not that amount of time has passed. Would people believe it straight away? You know, it'd be hard to tell tell someone after directly after 9-11. When, like, emotions are still very high and people are in that highly emotional state and you come in and be like, you know it's all a hoax, <laughs> you know, it's not going to go down well. No, is it? They're no. like going to react so aggressively. Because they're brought into that that fear mode, you know, they've been reduced to that base level of being fear. And they and do feel like somehow you are... It, you know you know what it is? It's like because you're not going along with it, because you're the one that's choosing to be, well, hang on, no, let me look at all the evidence of the towers coming down. It, it, it's that, that guilt 
of not having to go along with it. Like, you know, especially if you suspicious, if you if you're suspicious of something is wrong with the pandemic, like a lot of people were suspicious after the Twin Towers came down that something was wrong here. But at that time when fear through the media has been really pushed on you, you have to sort of almost go along with what your mind or everyone else's mind is telling you. A bit like at the moment with the pandemic, our new 9-11. Everyone's bought into the fear of the TV screens, of vet hospitals, whether it be the towers burning or the hospitals being war zones. The fear has still got people, uh, you know, sort of captivated enough that they, they can't question the real, the real problem and they go along with the narrative and they always put you in the position to make you feel bad, you know. For questioning. For questioning. I guess in a sense it's because you're questioning their very reality. But they have a fixed perception of what's happened and for them to change that perception they're going to have to restructure their whole reality, their whole view on reality. Point exactly. Yeah. So it's too much of an endeavour because they sort of think, well, if I believe that 9-11 was an inside job, it was actually from the deep state and the reason for it was to cause these wars, destabilise the Middle East, they're then having to admit what the the US or a, a kind of branch or strand of the US government would do this to their own people. That's heavy. Right? That's a heavy, it's a lot to fathom. And that's, I, a, that's a really heavy thought. The same as with the pandemic, you think, my God, if this has a sinister agenda behind it, what they would do this to their own population? What, like experiment think? on them and cause them harm. It's an unbearable thought. Although there's so, there's so much information out there, so many dots to connect that would take you there, people just don't want to go there because yeah. it's the reality would smash their current reality to pieces mm. and they don't like this new reality that they would have to face. No. They don't want that to be reality. No. You know, a lot of people would want to be ignorant to the truth, you know, because having all your walls brought down like that, I mean, how could you ever watch Love Island again on a Saturday night? Yeah. It's like breaking out of the Matrix, yeah. effectively. And pretty strange that in the Matrix, when Neo gets his passport out, what's the date on it? Yeah, September the 11th. It was! 2001. When that film came out, 1999. Hmm. And <laughs> just to put a positive spin on it, I do think that 9-11 did break a lot of people out of the Matrix. It did wake a lot of people up. Yeah. You know, it didn't some people, they, they went further into the coma and they and, and they just got completely engulfed by fear. But other people were like, hang on a minute, this is not right, something's happening. They started asking questions and COVID has done that even more. When we look at 20 years on, okay, everything we spoke about so far is, is negative, but there is a positive here. And that positive is so many more people have woken up since then yeah. and realised something is going on, there is a, a global agenda for total control and these events that are seemingly random are not random, mm. they're part of a, a script, a they're script. part of a plan, they're an agenda. And they've always been in place for a long time. I mean, one thing I would like to say is, just like probably understanding the pandemic or plandemic as we love to call it, and what it's really about, is not is not going to be an easy mind walk for anyone because you, you're going to un turn some stones with some dark stories. It won't be an easy read. Neither would it be going through some of the literary works that we've read, like The Trigger or Dr. Judy Wood's book. You're gonna, you are gonna tumble down a well of sometimes real truth, real truth that 
might really break open your sense of reality, but would you not rather just know the truth? And then rather than being kept in this perpetual lie of a false reality, I think the truth's worth more than that, you know, regardless if we ever get to the bottom of what happened, what is happening right now with the pandemic, like I think a lot of people have got to the bottom of what happened on 9-11. The victims of both 9-11 and the pandemic deserve the truth. That's the way you honour their memory, Absolutely. is by trying to get to the truth of what's Absolutely. really happening. Yeah, I can't agree more, man. Yeah, I thought I'd um, actually just read, this is right out of the centre face of Dr Judy Wood's book, because it's a short, uh, short piece, and I think this should be really noted by everyone, and it goes like this. If you listen to the evidence carefully enough, it will speak to you and tell you exactly what happened. If you don't know what happened, keep listening until you do. The evidence always tells the truth. The key is not to allow yourself to be distracted away from seeing what the evidence is telling you. Empirical evidence is the truth that theory must mimic. And I just want to put that down there for how we move forward. I think you have these leapfrog moments every now and again from the what David Icke calls the totalitarian tiptoe. 9-11 was definitely one. The pandemic is definitely another one. Yeah. And these leapfrog moments really forward the agenda at, at warp speed. Biden called the first vaccination program Operation Warp Speed. And, and that's, that's what these leapfrog moments feel like. They're suddenly the agenda from going from that tiptoe becomes a sprint. It goes at warp speed. And I think these moments can be really scary. Things feel like they're changing so fast. But there is, there is a positive spin here. And that's the fact that these leapfrog moments, they kind of lift the veil for a lot of people. They make things so obvious that... Allows people to wake up. Yeah. Many of us just can't ignore that we're living in this matrix and we break out of it. And our reality comes crumbling down, just, just like the towers. And we suddenly see behind the illusion. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies.